When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We review the Austrian Grand Prix and ask, did the stewards get it right or wrong? just seven days after what was a fairly flat French Grand Prix with lots of talk about the end of Formula One, the Austrian Grand Prix delivered an absolutely cracking race. And of course, that controversial late battle between Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen made contact, stewards investigation, but Max Verstappen kept the win. So loads of talking points from this race. I'm your host, Ed Stewart, and joining me to review the Austrian Grand Prix is Scott Mitchell, who has been been running around this evening trying to sort out all the new stuff stories from the uh, from the late verdict so this is one of those this is one of those particularly late ones isn't it yeah i think you can tell um i've got a i have a face for the i have a face for podcasts the best of times right now i feel weary and ill i think i might have a slightly gray tone to me right now i'm i'm feeling it i've got to be honest edit maybe it's coming across in audio form in this podcast as well but yeah this is a proper this is a properly late one bit of a brutal one um we're we're probably behind where we would normally be at this stage on a Sunday evening in terms of preparation for the Monday and writing stories and stuff like that. So it's a, it's going to be a late finish tonight. 
really early start on Monday as well to try and clear everything before we head to Vienna to fly home. So yeah, this is uh this is a this is one of the tougher ones. I'm not I'm not not going to lie and I'm, obviously normally I start these podcasts in being a bit of a talking about like where we're staying and stuff. I think it's coming across actually that I'm a little bit uh, not downbeat because it was a mega race and and all of that, but yeah, you just have uh you just have those moments where it takes its toll and takes it out of you, and this is certainly one of them for me at the moment. Well, you've certainly sold yourself very well there, but I know what you're like, Scott Mitchell. Once you get going, you'll, you'll find your second wind, and there's going to be some strong opinions. I think I found my second wind about nine hours ago, so I'm on my ninth or tenth at this point. Well, that's fine. And we're, we're ideally situated. We're in, we're, in my, uh, we're in my room. We're sat at the table in the corner, facing each other in quite a confrontational manner. Yeah, so. it's going to. I reckon a fight's going to break out. I'm just waiting. Like the, as uh, as we pointed out in our pre weekend podcast the only disappointing uh disappointment for me is i don't have my uh i don't have my adversary the horse that disagrees with me to try and g me up i need to, so you're going to need to take that that mantle to uh, we this are evening. slightly closer to the horse than we were previous recordings we were in your room last time yes we were that's true so i'm not ruling out the horse making an appearance we'll see hang on let me just have a, i'm just gonna check out the window pull, there pull, are horses back, out there but i don't know the curtain have it's a look your, underneath. It's your favourite. No, it's pitch black. I can't see anything else. I, sh- I should say that you were, you did actually commit to that. You put your head behind the curtain. So to where, speak. It's, it's very, very good. There is a danger I'll hit my head on a television during this because there's, there's a Samsung television rather bafflingly hung on the wall. Other television brands are available. They are. They are indeed. But uh, in this case, yeah. If there's a collision, it will be with a Samsung television and a Samsung television will get a penalty. So let's get straight down to it. As I said, lots of talking points, but it's lap 69, two and a half laps to go. Max Verstappen after his sterling drive. He has DRS up the hill. Charles Leclerc ends up uh, leaving leaving a gap on the, on the inside. He's on the left of the track. Verstappen goes up the inside, makes the move, and then towards the exit of the corner, they, so there's a touch of wheels. Leclerc spat wide. Verstappen's through. Victory. Now, of course, there was invariably that they said the stewards had noted it and then there would be an investigation after the race. And the verdict, I'll just quickly read the verdicts here before Scott gets into his analysis, uh, which said that uh, obviously all the usual stuff about 33 outbreaking car 16, 33s for Stapp and 16s for Clerk. And it says, however, both car 33 and car 16 proceeded to negotiate the corner alongside each other, but there was clearly insufficient space for both cars to do so. Shortly after the late apex, while exiting the corner, there was contact between the two cars. In the totality of the circumstances, we did not consider that either driver was wholly or predominantly to blame for the incident. We consider that this is a racing incident. Now, that's the stewards' verdict. Of course, Tom Christensen, the nine-time Le Mans 24 Hours winner, somebody takes stewarding extremely seriously. He thinks about it a lot. He was part of that that group of four stewards. So, Scott, you've been doing a lot of work after the race. You heard from Michael Massey, the race director. You've heard from from the drivers. So... What do you make of, of of what happened? I can see you're composing yourself, you're stealing yourself, ready to deliver some some insightful, incisive thing. I managed to cover you up yawning very well. Yeah, there. I was about to say, or, or alternatively, <laughs> I'm stifling a yawn. <laughs> um, my position has changed somewhat. Uh, when it happened live, I thought that... Uh, I. Uh, I knew it was going to get investigated and I suspected it would be a penalty for Verstappen. And then when I watched a couple of replays back, I think as much as I wanted it not to be a penalty, the reason I thought it would be is because it seemed like a slam dunk 
Max has pushed Charles off the track. So that 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 was sort of how I initially viewed it. And then I sort of looked at it again and, and it was a bit it was a bit heart versus head. Hart wanted wanted it to sort of just be oh well, you know, racing's racing and sometimes there's gonna be wheel to wheel contact and we can't penalise it all of the time because otherwise you're gonna disincentivize drivers from having a go, which is obviously an an argument and debate in itself because maybe we should be disincentivizing incidents that result in cars ending up off track. Uh, but my head was saying um, that simply put Max was the aggressor on the inside and Charles contests the outside fairly and ends up running out of road. And broadly speaking, those are the facts and they haven't changed. So you can make a very, very compelling argument for Verstappen for being penalized. Absolutely. The thing that that shifted my opinion speaking to to Michael Mazzi first time I've had the pleasure of being in his company actually and sensible guy isn't he very, sens- yeah. very sensible very insightful really really considered his, his points of views was careful to make it clear that it wasn't him necessarily talking he was trying to sort of give us a bit of an insight into his understanding of the stewards well we just we should emphasize that the race director isn't the stewards yes correct uh, so he he Speaks to the stewards and understands their decisions, and uh, and he. But he's it, not he there for it, their deliberations. Uh, exactly, so. he can give advisories to teams if they ask, but he is not the stewards. No. So he is the they're almost their their representative in this situation. Exactly. So so from that sort of twenty minutes or so of of asking questions and Michael being good enough to 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 answer everything in 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 good stead as well, he didn't bat anything away. The the thing that's changed for me, my understanding of it is. Is, is what I understand the stewards' to, position to to be that the the wording of the decision is that neither driver is wholly to blame, right? So it has to be wholly or predominantly to blame for there to be a penalty. This was brought in a few years ago because they wanted to stop penalising everything. Basically, they need you need a big share of of the blame for it to be worth penalising. So what they've basically done with this is they have assessed the responsibility or the role that the guy on the outside in this in this case Charles has played in the incident and they've looked at the fact that Max was on full lock making the corner making a legitimate overtake in control of the car and he's got in he's got inside he's full lock on his head is looking out of the corner he's not deliberately forcing himself left to 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 cover the the space where the ferrari would or could or should be depending on your position and therefore what max is doing is pretty much everything within his power within the context of that overtake not to just shove leclerc off the road and therefore the other side of that is what role does Leclerc play in this? And from what I understand, the steward's position is that as the car on the outside, basically Leclerc's made a decision there to chance it around the outside. He's free to do so. And he had the, because of the space that Verstappen gave him all the while the, the entry to the corner is open. Leclerc is free to contest that corner and he has the room to contest that corner. What he then has to do over the second part of the corner is make a decision where, whereby he works out whether or not he continues with that gamble and hopes that either Verstappen won't completely go to the edge of the circuit, or that he'll go to the edge of the circuit in a way that means if they bump wheels, nothing happens and Leclerc doesn't end up off the road. But that's a decision that Leclerc consciously makes. So this is why the stewards decide that that Leclerc plays a role in that, because he could back out 
and I'm not he's not obliged to, just because Verstappen's on his inside doesn't mean that he can't contest the outside of the corner. But my position and I think this reflects the the stewards from my understanding, is that you can't say that one driver is predominantly to blame when both play a role at different points during the incident taking place. And by that definition, it, it is a racing incident. And I don't, I'm not a massive fan of justifying contact that leads another driver off the road as a fair incident. I don't, but I don't actually 100% think this is necessarily about defining whether this was fair. I think, much like anything, it's about defining whether it was legal. Because I think the two debates are very, very different. But that in itself is quite confusing because based on, and we can get into this in a bit, I'm sure, Ed, but based on what's happened over the last couple of rounds, I've got no idea sort of what legally or fairly is considered appropriate because we have different incidents in different circumstances with different results every time, it seems. Well, because this is such an important talking point, I actually think this is quite a significant decision in terms of slightly redefining that. Because, you know, when you're talking about when you're talking about law, there's always precedents and reinterpretations and things can change. And in the climate that we're in, with so much talk about these decisions, the whole let them race arguments, there was an opportunity here for the stewards to think a little bit more deeply about things and slightly redefine things. And I think this maybe does shift things a little more into a slightly more, exactly what I asked for, a slightly more three-dimensional, slightly more nuanced view. I mean, I broadly agree with your interpretation. I think the way I'd sum it up is, Firstly, I don't know why Leclerc left the door open. This is a side issue. I was surprised because the previous lap, he'd sort of held a slightly mid-course for Stappen had gone up the inside and then Leclerc really passed him. And I was surprised that Leclerc made that decision to leave the whole sort of track for Verstappen. Now, that's by the by. But once on the outside, there's an element of live by the sword, die by the sword. Now, there's two things. The traditional move would be to sort of lift off and try and cut back inside which he didn't really try and do he tried to tough it out around the outside and this is where it does come down to live by the sword die by the sword and so this is where it comes down to Leclerc making a decision that put him in harm's way now it's not Leclerc's fault by any stretch of the imagination Verstappen could have could have left him a little bit more room it's Harsh, maybe, but this is what we keep asking for. Harsh racing, isn't it? And Leclerc, if that was a wall, Leclerc would never have contested that because he'd have known he'd have got squeezed, he'd just got squeezed and run out. But because we have this runoff, drivers take his risk. So it, it, it comes down to a question of it does Leclerc have enough of a stake for that to be sort of on there? Actually, I think it's, it's a little bit close to the edge, but actually, no, we're going to let them get away with it. So it, it's, it's quite complicated, but I do think that this is a slight redefining of the rules of engagement in terms of the way they're they're interpreted and presented no two incidents are the same we've got we've seen lots of of different versions this is wholly unrelated to the Vettel Canada thing totally different situation the Ricardo Paul Ricard things different situations and it all starts with Verstappen making a perfectly legitimate move that only becomes a problem quite late in the in the corner so the question is is there enough does the club have enough of a stake even if it's a Leclerc certainly had a minority stake, but it's enough of a minority stake for it to be let go, should we say. I think there are there are two parts related to the, the makeup of the corner itself that I, th- I think is very significant because each incident has to be judged differently and drive a, a, a battle in a race is a, 
effectively a living breathing thing the the right the, the drivers are reacting to different circumstances and, and they have to be able to, to to judge the situation accordingly so therefore uh whether you've got runoff on the outside grass gravel or wall does play uh, play a part in in in, in the racing and, and how the, the 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 aggressor and the defender conduct themselves so the two things for me that are significant about this first, as you've just mentioned, is the, the, the runoff. So there is runoff on the outside. So therefore Leclerc is more inclined to take a punt. If there's a wall there, uh, maybe he's more circumspect and says, actually, I'm, I'm going to back out and not contest this. The key thing is that in both scenarios, it's his choice to make. Verstappen needs to allow him to make those choices and Verstappen does allow him to make those choices in the first half of the corner. What happens thereafter is a consequence of Leclerc's decision as much as it is Max's overtake. The second part, in terms of the makeup of the corner, is that this isn't a simple 180 degree hairpin. This is a, a corner that is uh, at the top of the hill. There's a little bit of a crest in the middle of it and then the angle of the corner means that the car on a car on the inside is always going to wash out the position on the outside whereas if for example you have a normal 180 degree hairpin you could argue that actually in that situation because it's quite tight um and the line is uh quite common shall we say throughout from the corner entry to corner exit you're sort of following the same sort of angle whereas turn three at austria at the top of the hill that right hander you go up and it's quite a sharp right so there's just a different factor at play there. So the guy on the outside should always be quite aware that the chap on the inside is probably going to move across. So that also plays a part in whether Leclerc should or shouldn't be contesting the corner on the outside there. So I think those two factors are, are quite important because in this particular battle, they are key uh, They are key elements. And, and you could still counter that the driver on the outside, if if you are wheel to wheel you should always be given a car's width but it's very difficult to uh it's very difficult to sort of justify that in reality because ultimately physics is at play here and the way i sort of see it is that by putting himself on the outside of a corner like that in the circumstances he did i think sort of leclerc put himself in a sort of losing battle with physics so to speak and i i'm no scientist but I'd fancy physics to win <laughs> most times. Physics has a habit of doing that. It's uh, it's quite uh, it's quite unbending, should we say? And we should say it is different to a move where where say someone comes steaming in on the brakes and piles into someone and barges them off, kind of in one move. The fact that Verstappen was alongside there, they were into the corner, turned in properly. I think makes a difference. I think Leclerc is perfectly entitled to be annoyed about it. No question. I don't necessarily I don't blame him for that. I don't blame Ferrari. Mattia Bonotto said after the race that he felt it was the, the wrong decision, although cr- crucially they're not going to appeal it or request a review or try and play the, the, the Chandock defence or whatever it's uh, called now when Ferrari tries to reopen these things. So I, I don't have a problem with this. I don't have a problem with one driver making a slightly aggressive move that perhaps in another time might have been penalised. I must admit, I thought my position after I saw it, because I sort of saw the replays briefly, but then straight after the race, I charged down to gather up various drivers after I'd done their TV interviews. My position was, I hope he doesn't get penalised, but I think he will, which is why I sort of feel this has slightly tweaked the uh, the interpretation. But I can understand that the danger is that you kind of put the... You're, you're looking at it the wrong way, that you're sort of trying to find a way not to penalise it, and this is the rationale. But I think this is quite an important 
step for Formula One in terms of the of the of the, the, the let them race thing. And yeah, great. Get to the end of the race. One driver's annoyed, maybe a little bit hard done by. You know, it does happen in racing. It does happen in sport. People feel a bit hard done by. Obviously, what has to happen is that more extreme versions of, the, of that sort of incident do go punished because. Like I say, everything's a little bit different, different relative speeds, different positions, etc. So that's, that's, I think, uh, I, th- I think important. And yeah, I think when it comes down to it, that was a great race and you, it doesn't, shouldn't really influence it, but it is a, it, there, there's a lot at stake from, uh, from what was going on here. The stewards will have known that. And I think that's one of the reasons why they took their, their time over it. So a lot of complaining about how long the decision took. Now, my view personally is I'd rather the right decision is taken and sometimes things are complicated. Motorsport is actually a pretty pretty damn complicated sport, particularly when you're at the top level in Formula 1 or other top categories. So it's necessary for things to take time. And I'm, it, it goes both ways, doesn't it? Sometimes when if people get a decision they don't like that's made in the race, they say, why don't you wait and do it later, as people said in Canada. Then if they don't like one, they said, why did you take so long? So I'm, I've, I've got no problem with that, but... but Obviously, uh, Michael Massey did explain to you why it took so long. Yeah, I just asked because I think I was I was probably one of the people who was sat around sort of growing a bit frustrated, mainly because it did disrupt the Sunday evening. Yeah, um, you, want, you want to know. All, yeah, everyone's impatient for it. Everyone wants to know. We all well, have. We should, we should say somebody put a uh, there's there's a there's an FIA information WhatsApp group that various channels in. Someone did put a, a fake document in there, which a few people tweeted about saying it was a penalty. Which wasn't very helpful. No, not useful at all. Um, that might explain why some people saw a few people on Twitter. Uh, yeah, really. posting that because it, it looked authentic and it was an official channel. But yeah, anyway, not, that's, that's that was not useful. Um, so it was it was frustrating to be in a situation in the evening where you're we've got media sessions with Ferrari, Red Bull, and Honda, and they're all being postponed because obviously none of the team bosses or the, the figures want to speak without knowing the result especially when it was uh, such a contentious situation so that was frustrating and I was sort of thinking I think I was I, th- I think I can admit that I was part of that crowd not really thinking about it and just sort of growing frustrated that there that there wasn't anything so but I thought that you know there'll be a reason behind it and I, I especially wanted an explanation on the grounds that it was all this time to take no action do you know what I mean all lot of time taken to make no decision effectively even though that's obviously massively oversimplifying it so i asked uh i asked michael and he's just said um the the short version of his answer is that that is effect it's just how long it takes to make the right decision this was it was impacted in by several factors um starting with the fact that it was at the end of the race so that they couldn't make a decision during the race unless they were going to make a snap decision they then needed to let the official post-race uh, elements play out. So podium, uh, the TV pen where the, the, the all, all the drivers, including the top three, uh, have to go to the TV pen, speak to all the TV crews. Then they come up and do the official FIA press conference, which now takes place after that this year. So the stewards' hearing couldn't be scheduled until 6pm local time, which was about, what, an hour and 20 minutes after the race had finished? I was just I was just quickly working out when I thought the race finished. I reckon the chequered flag was taken at about four thirty six. Sorry, about four thirty six. You well, can't I just, say about when well, you I, give uh, a very my, specific my, answer. Well, I think the the race was eighty two minutes. They started the warm lap at ten past three. So yeah, that would have been. And then of course you got the slowdown lap and everything. So they're getting back into the paddock, uh, into park for I don't know twenty to five something like that. Yeah. So I think you know 
takes over an hour for them to get into a position where they're able to do the hearing. Then the hearing takes place, so you get both the drivers in, both the, and the two team representatives. So, so you hear what everyone there has to say, and then um, that process itself took uh, took around about an hour. So then the the, the drivers and the and the team representatives are sent packing, and the and the stewards are left to to consider the testimony that they've heard and then they look at uh, other various bits of data that they've got, whether that be uh, telemetry or onboard cameras or, uh, and checking precedent from previous cases, similar cases that they can uh, draw a bit of experience and precedent from. Uh, and then they've got to come up with the decision. And once they've come up with the decision, they then need to work out how to communicate it and how they uh, fill out the the document like the, that you read out at the at the beginning of this, which was time seven forty six. Yep. So that was about three hours ten minutes yep. after the checkered flag. Yep. And then they've got to bring back the drivers and the team representatives to explain to them that, what the decision is, and then they have to communicate the decision. And basically, that is just it all adds up. And as uh, as Michael Mazzi put it, what feels like uh, not very long in the stewards' room or in the officials' room passes very very quickly in the outside world when you're waiting for it so what felt like forever for us more than three hours probably didn't feel like that long at all for them i think we should say you know the fia should always look at any way to reduce the time for, for doing this so maybe there are ways to do that so it's not kind of a completely free pass on it but yeah stuff does take time and sometimes things take a, a certain amount of time you have to you know you have to go through a process which is important i'd rather they're right than uh they're wrong much as it would be good to have a decision a little bit earlier and i think it's less of a problem given that the, the decision hasn't actually uh, actually changed the results but important times for the whole issue of stewarding and and let them race as, as, as the, the slogan has become and i think generally this is a this is a, a positive step obviously what we have to then make sure is things don't escalate and people start taking liberties you know you can judge kind of what is acceptable contact and a bit of rubbings racing, which is sort of towards the the kind of limit, the upper limit of, and when it goes beyond what is acceptable. You know, this isn't a driver chucking it in sideways on the brakes, making wheel-to-wheel contact. And Oh, I've just elbowed the television. It's made a very terrifying uh, electric noise. I shouldn't gesticulate, particularly when I'm on a podcast. But uh, anyway, yeah, well, we, we've we've covered that, uh, that in some depth. There are a lot of other things we need to talk about, and I'm sure we'll have, hear lots of opinions about that uh, about that decision. I don't blame Charles Leclerc for being being pretty disappointed about about the whole thing. And we should say Charles Leclerc. It was until that point pretty much a textbook weekend wasn't it he was the quicker ferrari driver ferrari had great pace in uh, in qualifying of course some long straights in austria where we know they're strong not enough corners for mercedes to be able to make up uh, that make up the gap and certainly not the slow corners where they really excel in so we saw we saw this right from friday even though the mercedes drivers neither completed a proper qualifying uh, simulation a quick lap you could see from the, the split times of the of the abortive laps that actually Ferrari did have a, a quick car. So Leclerc got pole, uh, you know, led for, led from the start. Unlike in Bahrain where he lost positions, he he nailed the start, controlled the race early on. Had a it was just eking out. It's under two tenths a lap. He was he was building from from Bottas, but he built up a nice lead. Obviously, he made his pit stop, having started on softs with the two Mercedes and and uh, Verstappen on mediums. Uh, the lap after after Bottas obviously made his first stop, and then you know at, at that point they could have run him longer because the, the the lap times were still uh, were still standing up quite well on the softs, and I and maybe that would have helped. If they didn't have the nine lap off, offset in terms of tire life to to Verstappen, but yeah, Bottas uh, 
started the pit stop sequence on lap 21 and Vettel of course pitted as well and then Leclerc obviously had this lead over Bottas but we had Verstappen coming 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 but before we get into the the Verstappen drive you know I feel really I'd love to see Charles Leclerc get his first win I know I'll see Charles Leclerc get his first win soon enough and I'm going to see we're all going to see many many great victories from uh from this driver but yeah you you can understand why he's annoyed that he's got so close He's been he has been sort of slightly roughhoused out of the lead. He will be irritated, but you know, other other than other than perhaps leaving the door open, which he didn't need to do, I think a very 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 good drive. I think it's probably harder to take because of what happened in Bahrain, isn't it? Of course, where he drove immaculately, mechanical problem, and it just feels like it's another race that it's second race where he's done pretty much everything right. It feels like he was about to earn a really really well deserved victory from pole position again, no less, and in a weekend where he did have the edge over four-time world champion teammate Sebastian Vettel. And then it's just, it's, he's just not, it's just not come together. And part of me, yeah, part of me feels for Leclerc very, very much because you could tell how frustrated he was. Another part of me sort of thought, well, you admitted after the race that you probably wouldn't have won anyway had Max not, tried to overtake you there or done it in that way so you know did you really lose out because of that rough housing move you know if he admits that he didn't then it's kind of difficult to there was every chance kind of take us away from it a little bit there was every chance for Staffan was going to pass him but when you're two and a half laps from the end you know you, you can it's possible to, to hang on and that's what you'll be thinking about I think precisely the other thing as well that I sort of thought was um, was a shame for him is that He'd been so brilliant in the first stint when he was meant to be on weaker tyres and on the riskier strategy. He just had everything under control and he had all of his rivals at arm's length and just it was just imperious again. It was just like a guy who has been doing this for, for years and years and years, not just you know experiencing leading Grand Prix for the first time this season. Um, and then it just sort of unravelled over the last 15 20, min- uh, 15, 20 laps of the race whereby the the tyres that he fit before most people just did not quite have the life. Maybe the Ferrari had worked them a bit too hard. Maybe they were sort of struggling a little bit more than the, the Honda was in the in the back of the Red Bull for for temperature management and that sort of thing. And then just it wasn't like he suddenly hit a cliff with ten laps to go and Verstappen was on him. Once Verstappen I, I felt that once Verstappen cleared Vettel and got into third, they, then it became a realistic prospect because he was just chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. And it was just Leclerc shifted from having three quarters of the race where he was totally in control to just suddenly seeming powerless to stop the slide in the last quarter of the race that, that, that gave Verstappen the advantage. It's interesting. So I was speaking to you during the race and saying, well, let's see. It could just be that Leclerc's just holding position, looking after it. And then when Verstappen, Clear Boston started to, to, to close up, I thought it could just be that he's, you know, they're just, they're, let, they're letting Verstappen close an amount, want to make sure that they've got, you know, maximum, uh, maximum battery and that kind of thing to defend. But then once it got down to getting down into three second gap, it was like, oh no, clearly this is going too quickly. Ferrari and Leclerc are in, are in trouble. I was disappointed Leclerc left the, left the door open quite so, so easily on, on that lap. I do think he was fighting something of a losing battle. But but otherwise, you know, a strong performance from Leclerc. He was a quicker Ferrari driver. Sebastian Vettel, of course, he started, uh, oh, I've said started, he he was 10th in qualifying because of the um, uh, 
but because he couldn't run in Q3 because he had a problem with the the, the airline pneumatic airline feed to the valve, so basically he couldn't couldn't run. Um, obviously, he started ninth. Of course, he would have done with Magnussen's five place gearbox penalty. Great qualifying that from Kevin Magnussen. I should uh, I should add really uh, really mega. Um, and so yeah, he he had the pace over Vettel anyway. So yeah, strong performance from uh, from Ricardo. But a shame for Ferrari because now we're we're nine races in. They they should have won Bahrain. They should have won Canada. Could have won Austria. Could have won Azerbaijan. We could be we could be in a situation where Ferrari's got four wins, Mercedes has got five. But Mercedes, Ferrari always finds a way to <laughs> to lose out. And actually, right right from Saturday afternoon, it's clear only having one car up there would was going to be a little bit of a problem. Because for example, when Bottas started the safety car, started the pit stop rather. Uh, Flurry, they could potentially, if Vettel was running second ahead of Bottas, have covered him with Bottas, had uh, covered him with Vettel rather than Leclerc. So, or vice versa. And, and then you, you've still got one car up there that could have run longer on softs, which I think they could have done because they, they didn't seem to be struggling with Degan. Incidentally, I thought that the concern about the softs was a little bit spurious anyway, because Friday didn't suggest the softs were going to fall apart. They were running fairly well, even in, in hot conditions. And certainly Leclerc's pace hadn't dropped off so yeah difficult <laughs> difficult for ferrari one thing i would say about um leclerc losing the win and ferrari losing the win because yeah it's amazing it's just still feels weird second time in three races that they've it's amusing that it's the second time in three races they've lost their first win of the season because of a penalty decision it's just both times they've been opposite decisions and they've both gone against ferrari always the wrong side um which is very unfortunate but uh, i don't I don't want to say that there's ever a right way or a right time to deny someone their first win, but I'm very glad that someone of Leclerc's ability didn't inherit his his first win. That would have been a shame. Well, he inherited his first, uh, not inherited, but his first podium was was dampened because he lost a win in Bahrain, of course. And so he wasn't really able to celebrate that in the way that a first podium should be celebrating. <laughs> yeah, I, I, th- I think you're right. I'm, I mean, I'm sure Leclerc would say, well, I'd rather have the win. But yeah, he's 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 been, he's not, at least not been, Given that uh, that first win by a by a penalty, not be able to celebrate it. But Charles Leclerc is a fantastic driver, and he will he will uh, certainly have many wins. And the the other positive thing is he certainly seems to be picking up that Q three form and stringing together the lap, which is a problem. I did a big analysis into that. That has been a weakness, but he he nailed it in uh, in Austria. So very positive and kept up that brilliant form he's he's been on the last few race weekends. He's just really stringing it together at the moment, isn't he? He's uh, he's he's grown after that. Not, not dodgy spell but that spell where maybe he was just a bit too inconsistent and trying now, a bit too hard at times maybe yeah I think maybe it was uh, maybe it was trying to make up a bit too much for that lost win maybe it was trying to prove a point to Ferrari that he wasn't going to be the number two driver whatever it was he's moved past that now he sort of changed his approach and as you say he's making sure he's gearing up more towards the, the, the tail end of qualifying and nailing Q3 so looks like looks like the, the, the kid with all of the ability and brilliant work ethic and intelligence has very very quickly applied attributes two and three there melded it with attribute one and i i as much as i you, you know how much i rate leclerc and, and and how closely i followed him at alpha la, uh, sauber last year oh i did the opposite of what i normally do at sauber last sure, year yeah. um but i didn't think that nine races in to the 2019 season leclerc would have vettel's number and right now i think leclerc's got vettel's number yeah, I think I think it's it's got to that point, and 
yeah, yeah. The the Ferrari, the Ferrari was as well as the track characteristics. The Ferrari was better this weekend. Uh, they didn't. Have, they, they had a really weak front end in France. They seem to have uh, have got that a little bit stronger, albeit on a different type of track here. So yeah, this is a great platform for for Leclerc to keep building from. So he has to he has to look at the the positives. Now we should talk a little bit about Max Verstappen. He had a hell of a race, really, because obviously he was on the front row because Lewis Hamilton was given that uh, that penalty for impeding Kimi Raikkonen in Q1. It was a three-place grid penalty for Hamilton, which in the end only dropped him to fourth place, only a two-place uh, two-place penalty thanks to uh, thanks to Kevin Magnussen also having a penalty for a gearbox change and dropping down from uh, from fifth. Uh, now Verstappen had probably the. 30 seconds of the, the least effective preparation for winning a Grand Prix that you could possibly have. Didn't have the revs right at the start. Uh, anti-stall kicked in, as it's meant to do, to stop you stalling the car. So he's dropped to seventh immediately. Uh, he then, on the run, uh, coming into turn two, he's on the inside line, he's a bit boxed in behind Vettel, and Gasly goes around the outside of him. Uh, and then into turn three, while sort of hovering around the back of Gasly, he locks up the front right giving himself a vibration of the front right that lasts for the whole first stint. So in the course of three corners and probably about half a minute just under, he has had th- three setbacks. And obviously he, he quickly cleared some of the uh, – there was a bit of low-hanging fruit in front of him. Lando Norris, Kimi Räikkönen were fairly easy to dispatch. He did that by lap nine, at which point he was about 14.5 seconds uh, off the lead. So – not especially promising at that point. We knew he had pace, but he was a reasonable distance from the lead, and there were three cars between him and Leclerc at that point. So it was a win at that point didn't look at. I mean, the podium certainly looked possible, but a win at that point looked difficult. A stretch, definitely a stretch. I was um, I was following Verstappen in the first stint. Um, I followed him on the first lap. Actually, his uh, his move on Gasly to get him back on the outside into the penultimate corner was really good. Yeah, because um, actually, cause although Gasly was sort of compliant in the end on that one, Gasly did move to the inside yeah, he, to, to he, the fans. he covered the line, yeah. And once he realised Verstappen was committed, he <laughs> didn't drive into him and boot him in. But uh, yeah, that, that was a real move. It wasn't Gasly just letting him No, 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 not at all. Um, and yeah, he then sort of slowly but surely worked his way back up. But obviously, the setback on the first lap and all of the time lost making his way back through meant, you're right, he had this this 14 and a half second disadvantage what was really impressive for me was how he he extended his he extended his first stint um and then he was behind hamilton wasn't he at the time and then then lewis picked up a bit of front wing damage by running wide over the sausage curb at the exit of turn one actually um, it was turn 10 he oh was damage. it it was turn the 10. coverage made it look like it was turn one and i thought it was turn one until yeah i got the turn 10 information oh, that was okay. down to replays and being a bit confusing sometimes you get radio at weird times but yeah obviously hamilton was running third uh, then Vettel, then Verstappen, so they were third, fourth, fifth. But yeah, the um, the interesting thing was in that first stint when Verstappen was, once Verstappen was in clear air, his pace was 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 very good, but it wasn't stunning. He was he was second fastest man on track for that period once he was through up to the point where the pit stop started. He was about tenth on average slower than than Vettel. But what he was doing was extending, was ultimately extending the stint despite that vibration on the front right. And that's what was impressive. So once he then moved into the point where it was just him and Hamilton that were extending their stints out front, and then the longer that stint went on for, the thing that was really solid was the fact that Verstappen was then able to match the guys who then came back out on the fresh hards. And th- that was really important because when he then when he pit, 
and rejoined, he'd taken about a second and a half or so off of that deficit, to, that total deficit to Leclerc, but he'd he'd given himself slightly fresher tyres. So not enough. I, mean, I think I messaged you, didn't I, during the race? Because obviously we're communicating all the all the time. Um, it felt actually like he'd he'd chipped into that into that lead and got himself fresher tires, but he'd not he'd neither taken enough out of that lead, made enough ground up on track in terms of positions, because all he'd done is uh uh pass past Vettel because Vettel had that really slow stop. Um and then uh, sorry, uh pass past Hamilton. Past Hamilton because yeah, Hamilton had the front wing change. Which took about eleven seconds yeah. and uh, Hamilton lost more time actually because when they, they they made a really late call to try and bring him in when he's already turning into turn nine, which no way he can make it in in in, in on that one. But yeah, that, that got Vettel uh, that got uh, Hamilton out of the way. But yeah, so he was he was fourth once he was out of his pit stop. Yeah, but he never re- but in, in, this is the thing, he, he never looked like he'd made up enough ground on track, enough places, enough time, or had given himself a particularly big offset in tyres to suddenly like carve his way through the order. And then it, and it's then nine it just, laps on Leclerc, which is a handy offset, but not yeah, a, not a, it's sort of uh, in no man's land, isn't yeah, it? Between not, between not really being anything and having like a stint's worth effectively of, yeah. of tyres. So it's a little bit weird, but what was then really, really impressive was how he came alive on those hard tyres. Yeah, the pace was fantastic. He was incredibly quick in in that period, and just you know took it took his time a little bit. Didn't didn't overdrive. Didn't just let the let the fact that he had the pace and the car had the pace do the talking. Reeled in Vettel, passed Vettel. Vettel put up a, a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a fight. Uh, caught Bottas, passed Bottas. Bottas didn't put up much of a fight, although. I have to say, in the defence of Bottas and also Hamilton, who basically once he rejoined in fifth place, just sort of sat there um, because neither Mercedes had great race pace uh, that they thought they could have done, but they had cooling problems. Uh, they were uh, both drivers were being instructed to lift and coast for four hundred metres a lap, uh, both Bottas and Hamilton. Now that's about eight point two percent of the, the length of the the Red Bull ring, so that's very very significant. It's quite fun listening to some of the radio stuff with Hamilton he's like right so after his stop he's just saying right so I just got to basically sit here and they're like well yeah things might come back to you but so Bottas when Verstappen came up to him he wasn't in a great position he I don't think he'd been able to with the cooling issues hold off Verstappen lap after lap after lap so I think it was kind of a question of well if you're going to go go and I'm going to just try and get it home for the, for the podium because obviously Mercedes and all sorts of trouble. They said they knew the cooling was a, was a weakness, obviously in terms of the configuration of the car, it's easier to make sure you maximize the amount of airflow you've got for downforce. And then if you get an extreme cooling situation like this, you can then manage it, but you've got the pace there for it to unleash in qualifying and when you need it, not in the race, but this was uh, difficult. And that's why Mercedes wasn't really at the races and Bottas ended up third and Hamilton uh, down in, uh, down in uh, fourth place fifth place rather of course because Vettel got him near the end um but yeah Verstappen was just motoring and you know the, the, the pace of that of that package was clearly very very strong and it just the, the ease with which he managed to get clear those those cars I mean once he got past Vettel you're like well, he's got a reasonable chance and then once he cleared Bottas without really losing much at all it, it, you know the pressure was really on it was it was very impressive and it was very uh it was very encouraging for for Honda because it's very easy to dismiss um that pace difference and the ability for a Honda powered car to pass the Ferrari and the Mercedes uh, in a straight line on the run to to 
whether it was into turn three or turn four or wherever Verstappen got a run on them and or, or looked stronger and just say, oh, well, you know, they were having cooling difficulties, so they were easing off. But the reason they had cooling difficulties is because of the package as a whole. And you can't detract from the job that Rebel and Honda have done with the optimization of that package because they had the fastest and most reliable one when it counted on the day. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. You know, you could, cooling problems do not come in isolation. It's down to the decisions you make. And generally those decisions were for Mercedes, but obviously in this case it didn't. But yeah, the Red Bull Honda was very good. And obviously this is Honda's first win since 2006, the Hungarian Grand Prix, when the, the works team won with, uh, with Jensen Button. Uh, first win as a sole engine supplier since, since 1992 for, for Honda as a, as a, the, the factory engine supplier. So, Huge for Honda to win. I mean, a few years ago, it looked like Honda would never win a Grand Prix. You know, they were struggling with McLaren, getting slated all the time. Just an embarrassment. And basically, <laughs> it's kind of coincided with moving away from McLaren. And Honda have also changed a few things, got their act together, made great progress for Toro Rosso this year, last year rather. Great progress now with Red Bull. And they are now a Grand Prix winning engine, which if you'd said two years ago, they're going to win in two years, you'd be like, nah. Yeah, I wouldn't have been particularly convinced. And at the start of the year, we talked them up. We we said that we expected them to win races, but what Monaco, we didn't expect... Monaco was, the, was our scheduled Yeah, absolutely. Victory, so we were too early. What, well, what we didn't expect, we didn't expect Mercedes to move Three the goalposts. Yes. Sorry. If, I've, I've just been able to count. Sorry, I had to interrupt you too. I thought, I thought you were saying too early as in too early, T-double-O. I could have styled it out and got away with that, couldn't I? Yeah. Unfortunately, you're not that intelligent. Um, I, I think just... Nobody, including Red Bull and Honda, expected Mercedes to move the goalposts the way they did. So by both parties' standards, it's been a disappointing and tougher-than-expected start to 2019. And this victory will have come massively unexpectedly, and at the perfect place as well. Because on uh, Red Bull's home Grand Prix, at the Red Bull ring, um, what a brilliant way to to vindicate the, the project. And hopefully... As Max Verstappen pointed out after the race, it sort of eased a few doubts, if any were remaining, about the the capacity of that program, um, and it's, it'll have breathed new life into it. Uh, we know that nobody's signed up to F1 beyond 2020. We know that Honda, being a major car manufacturer, needs to greenlight anything that the motorsport operation does. Hopefully, this is uh, this is not just a reward for all the effort that's gone in so far. It's uh, it's proof that this is just the beginning and it needs to continued investment and it shouldn't be given up on, not not by a long shot. Oh, 100%. Honda can't stop now. This was a really good win. It wasn't a lucky win. It was a, it was fought for it. There were some circumstances that went against Verstappen. So, yeah, all credit to, to Honda for that. And credit to Honda for not just running away, which they which was when the, when, when the McLaren partnership ended, the two choices were pull out of Formula 1 or go in with, with Toro Rosso. And to their credit, they took the harder path. And you know they've been rewarded with uh, with this. That, that's fantastic for Formula One to have uh, have Honda winning races. Well, uh, we, we talked a fair bit about the battle at the front. Obviously, Sebastian Vettel finished fourth. Lewis Hamilton finished fifth. So Bottas takes a few points out of Hamilton in the the battle for the for the World Championship. But further down, Lando Norris, another great weekend for McLaren. I think that's their fourth Class B, as you might call it, midfield victory in uh, in nine races. And uh, obviously, Norris qualified strongly. Had a bit, had a brief dice with Lewis Hamilton at, at the start, and then just drove a, a very, very good race to take, take the points. But actually, the McLaren driver that really caught the eye was was Carlos Sainz, who had the he had the the B spec Renault engine. 
he had a back of the grid penalty as a result. He started uh, he started nineteenth, effectively, because George Russell started in the pits. And his plan, he said, was I spoke to him after the race, and he said, well, it, he didn't sort of think he was just going to pass everyone on the first stint. He wanted to extend that first stint, pick up places where he could, and then put himself in a position to attack late on. And, and Science executed that so well, so well. I mean, in the first stint, he passed Albin, Kvyat, Kibitza, Grosjean, Magnussen, um, Ricardo later on, and then once he'd made the, the change uh, tyres late on, he uh he he passed uh he passed Stroll, passed Hulkenberg, passed Perez, passed Giovinazzi, passed Raikkonen, and he reckoned, and times show he, he had a chance doing this, he could have contended for seventh or even sixth. But he he picked up uh, some front wing damage. It's like mystery front wing damage. He didn't know where it was. There's no obvious mistake if you look through that phase of the race for him. So it may have just been one of those things that just something something failed after taking too much of a beating. But Great for McLaren to be best of the rest with Lando Norris. Even more impressive to have a car coming through from the back in a, in a what you could, could call a normal race. No safety cars to help him to finish eighth with with Pierre Gasly separating the two. Big big points haul for McLaren, and in that fight for fourth in the constructors championship, this has been a big uh, big boost for them. It's really really impressive, and I, 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 I do agree that the the race performance from Sainz was absolutely marvellous. Uh, I think he, he executed it so brilliantly that when I came to finish my race report for the the snap race report for the website immediately at the checkered flag, obviously the focus was on what was happening at the front and then running through the rest of the orders or the order because of the way the flag, the, the, the way the race was going in the last 10 laps, I must admit I was distracted from that midfield battle. And I remember then going back through and just being just like, signs? What? <laughs> Trying well, to sort of piece it together that, in my mind. Well, after his stop, obviously, he did come back out, I think, in 13th place, was it? Something like that. So it wasn't like he ran long and then stayed in the points. So he had, he had to do some work. Really, Bit really. Bit of a midfield for Stappen. That's what it was, the drive was like today. It was very, very impressive. But do want to make uh, make sure that we're not, uh, it's not being misunderstood and we're playing down what, what Norris did because the no, quali- this was fantastic. qualifying performance was brilliant. The pass on Hamilton at the start. Briefly ran third, didn't he? Uh, yeah, very, very briefly. And of course, he had to uh, to, to do battle with um, with others as well. There was a point where Gasly was harassing him while he was behind Ricardo. He so, had to get past Raikkonen, didn't he? Yes, yeah, yeah. So you know, Norris is is really looking the part. He's he's really settled in well. And, and McLaren as a whole, uh, you know, sides after the race said we've still got some work to do. That the, the car's not great in the not brilliant in the slower corners. Although it, that said. It's it's coming on quite quite nicely. They were pretty strong in Monaco. Uh, obviously, poor Ricard's got a little bit more a little bit more slow stuff, and they were they were still strong there. So yeah, all credit to McLaren. I think this is uh, this is really really in, uh, encouraging for them. Obviously, have Pierre Gasly in between the two of them. Gasly's been struggling, uh, so a lot a lot of pressure building on 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 him uh, at this stage, and understandably so. Verstappen's a great teammate, but Gasly won't get into too much. But I feel like. He needs to get into the right mindset to modify his style to get the best out of the car. I think he's still being a little, trying to be a little bit too aggressive. He's a kind of an aggressive, attacking, exuberant driver. I feel like he needs to dial that back if he's to get the best out of it because currently he's got the worst average qualifying gap to, to his teammate of all of the 10 pairs of teammates, which isn't isn't great. And of course, two of the drivers that Science passed in the closing stages were the two Alfa Romeos, Kimi Raikkonen in 9th, Antonio Giovinazzi 10th, both made Q3. Great for Giovinazzi. So this is his 11th Grand Prix start, finally got a point. Now, 
I was, it was an idea that we had, didn't it, before the start of the weekend? Well, I, I'm still doing it because I, I was working on a, a column which I write uh, for, for this week about the fact that actually Giovinazzi's, it was originally sort of Giovinazzi's actually coming on quite nicely and stuff because he was, his fundamental underlying pace was strong. Still a little bit more work to do in the Colin race. Colin was going to be a lot more interesting and will be a lot more interesting than you just made it sound. Oh, it will be. Uh, well, I hope so. I haven't written it yet. Who knows? But yeah, I think Giovinazzi's been doing better than people think. I think his, actually, I think his fundamental pace in Austria was fractionally better than Raikkonen's but he didn't quite do it in qualifying and then in the race he he, he was uh, he was behind him but yeah good for Giovinazzi and a confidence boost I won't uh, I won't give away the, um, the 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 gist of your your column too much but one of the things that I think was really nice to see today is him get a result to show for what he feels has been unseen progress over the last few races because if you he, think, he has in races been extremely unfortunate yeah he, the strategies have not played out for him. He's been in weird places and had damage and all sorts of things and penalties and everything. But it's not, and it's not just like the way the races sort of go away from him. If you think like the the, the two times where I think he stood out most in terms of his qualifying performance were Baku and France. And Baku, he had a grid penalty, so he fell out of the top ten immediately before the race even started. So that that put him on the back foot, and he's locked into his tire choice then. And similar, but not quite the same in France, gets through into uh, Q three. Brilliant job, but he uh, he locks him into the uh, to basically the wrong tyres to start the race on. So it immediately means he's he's forced into a, an inferior strategy. So the rest of the job he does over the afternoon is perfectly fine, but it can't make up for the fact that he loses track position. So it was just very very good to see him put together that full clean weekend when the car was competitive because this was his point. As when he was sort of making up for early season inconsistencies through so shall we say he thinks through Spain, Canada and uh, Spain, Monaco and Canada even obviously he had the unfortunate spin in Canada he feels like over those three weekends he did make a genuine step and, and find something but that was at a time when the car wasn't particularly competitive in the midfield so it it didn't have the results to show for it and then in France he was able to show the pace in qualifying and now here he's had that Strong one lap performance, and he and he's got his first point, and and, and that's that's really good. Did you see the video after the race of uh, Fred chasing him around the Sauber motorhome with? Some, uh, sorry, the Alfa Romeo. I've done it. I've literally done the opposite of what I've done already in this podcast around the Alfa Romeo motorhome with a pair of scissors. It seems that there was some kind of internal bet that when he finally scored a points, he'd put a score his first points. He'd cut his hair. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. I trust uh, Fred Vasseur with a uh, with haircut. Well, I don't know. He's. Uh, in- yeah, 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 I don't know. Maybe he's listening to this podcast. I don't want to insult him. I like Fred. I'm just saying he's. I'm just saying he's not much of a barber. Well, you you don't know, do you? I don't actually know. I'll ask him. Uh, I'll ask him uh, next time. But he was very pleased. I had, quit, I had chat to him after the race, and he was uh, saying he's he's delighted to have the two drivers kind of on similar level because then they'll push each other on, and that's always what you like as a team boss to have your two drivers making sure they're keeping each other honest. Um, Sergio Perez just missed out on the points. Um, frankly, I think that's about as much as he could have done in the race because the racing point wasn't especially quick. They've got a bit of a problem with the the aero sensor of pressure control, so rear instability on turning. They need to get the the, uh, the upgrades onto that car in order to have a slightly better aero balance and control that aero balance uh, when the car is, uh, you know, on the brakes and uh, and turning in, obviously controlling that centre of pressure is, is very important. But he did finish ahead of Daniel Ricciardo and, and Nico Hulkenberg with Lance Stroll behind. Little uh, cameo, Daniel Ricciardo did pass Nico Hulkenberg, who was struggling massively on a aged tyres. Uh, Ricciardo did him on the outside of turn six on the on the last lap, 
to take that uh, take that twelfth place. That's one of those uh, unseen moves. You know, quite quite a bold move. Although Hulkenberg was was really struggling with those tyres, I can't blame him for for that. Uh, Alexander Alden was 15th. He had a back of the grid penalty because he took the, the spec three Honda. Alban had a, had a bit of a go at uh, Lance Stroll on the last lap. Uh, ended up slightly cack handedly hitting him at the, uh, at the, at turn three. It, it just, it wasn't in the coverage. I found it after, after the race and it ultimately didn't really matter. It was front left to, to right rear contact and, uh, Alban had a little bit of trouble getting the car. Sort of to pick up again afterwards, but he did cross line, so it didn't cost him anything. But uh, Toro also wasn't super competitive in Austria, and even though they had a, they didn't have the best qualifying overall, and Kvyat was impeded by George Russell, which earned George Russell a penalty, and Albon was always going to struggle because uh, he had the back of the grid penalty, but not a great weekend for for Toro Rosso. Better than for Haas, though. Yeah. Just after that mega lap from Magnussen in qualifying, it went. Uh, he spent went most of the slowdown lap of that one just shouting. Yeah. He was delighted. It basically, went pear shaped and horrible as soon as that lap ended, didn't it? Really? Yeah. Well, Magnussen said he he felt like he was driving in the rain early early on. He just plummeted from his tenth place starting position. He was into the pits pretty early on. What's that lap eleven? He uh, he came. I'm just looking at the lap chart here. Make sure yeah, lap eleven, and then he just sort of drove around. At the back, pretty much between the uh, between the two Williams drivers and Roman Grosjean had a slightly less troubled race, but Grosjean's struggling more with the car than Magnussen because it seems to be a little bit understeery, and Grosjean's not a big uh, a big fan of that. But Grosjean sort of stuck to his task in the race and was rewarded with a sixteenth <laughs> place. Has really need to get on top of that. There, I think they're they're out of. Uh, you can kind of take the view of well, the car's quick, we'll get results, but that's not really what's happening at the moment. So this is a, a serious problem. And uh, yeah, George Russell, as usual, won the uh, battle of the, of the Williams drivers pit lane start. It got up to 18th. Kubitz briefly briefly got up to 15th on the first lap ahead uh, of Grosjean before uh, sliding uh, backwards. But a reasonable weekend for for Williams. So that's a hopefully a reasonable rundown of goings on in the race off track. Uh, I guess the main thing was uh, we saw uh, teams trying to get Pirelli to revert to the 2018 size, the thicker gauge ones. That requires a, a 70% majority, so you need seven teams to to vote for it. We thought before that meeting, which was on Friday morning, was it? Um, this this would have changed the tyres after the break, given the lead times involved after the August break. So that would have been Belgian Grand Prix. We always thought it was going to be very, very difficult for Ferrari to get, well, Ferrari spearheading this ultimately for uh, Ferrari who really want this to get enough teams on side and it ended up being 5-5 with McLaren who are good on tyres being against it, Mercedes, Williams, Racing Point are against it so yeah Renault as well with the with the other ones so yeah they, nothing's going to happen without that. There is talk about possibly some 2020 spec tyres being brought forward if, uh, late on if, uh, if they can be proved but yeah that was a talking point off track but nothing has really change but otherwise yeah it's all about Max Verstappen and uh, I think there'll be a lot of talk coming back to the, the, the way we started with with that penalty but I think overall I think that's quite a positive decision for, for Formula 1 because while a little bit dicey and towards the upper limit what's fine I think it, it has moved us a inch, inch to slightly more towards that let them race philosophy that people want It's a curious precedent isn't it because it's suddenly for the first time in well, I say in a while, just because I can't think of one off the top of my head, but it's moved the emphasis, hasn't it? The the driver on the outside is now 
uh, it, per this decision anyway. It just shows that the driver on the outside is looked at as closely, but it also indicates that a little bit of contact and a car going off the track doesn't necessarily mean a penalty for the aggressive driver. And that in itself is quite encouraging because it will it will it will operate against this theory that what runoff has done is encourage the driver on the outside to just stick it out when there's no way that they're going to actually make the corner because they can then basically just go off track, boot the throttle and argue, well, I was forced off the road and then the other driver gets a penalty. And this decision is a bit of a an antidote to that, so to speak. Yeah, certainly. Uh, I'm sure there'll, there'll be people listening to this who, who don't really agree with our interpretation. I think you can certainly make a, make a perfectly sensible case that uh, that he was crowded crowded off the trap but i think this is this is very much going to be uh, positive for formula one it doesn't mean it's open season it doesn't mean if you've got a car on your outside you can do anything to them but i think it's uh, slightly redressed the balance and i think it shows the fact that you can argue either way makes it the definition of a racing incident doesn't it because it's therefore it shows that it's legitimate to claim that both drivers were at fault in some way or another well that's the phrase isn't it to be penalized a driver has to be wholly or predominantly to blame so uh yeah i'm sure we're gonna have another one of these fairly shortly in terms of uh, controversial uh, decisions and possible penalties so it'll be interesting to see how this impacts it uh well thanks very much for for listening do head to autosport.com all sorts of fallout from the austrian grand prix and coverage from the rest of the world of motorsport our plus subscriber area has uh, in-depth features from the world of formula one and of course you'll be able to go and, and uh, look at our driver ratings and also do your own driver ratings we uh, we collect reader driver ratings as well there uh, autosport magazine of course will be out on thursday with in-depth coverage of the race uh, do check out sister titles motorsport.com f1 racing magazine out monthly and motorsport news out every wednesday and if you like this podcast and you're not already subscribed please do subscribe uh, like us on spreaky you'll be able to find the podcast on uh, the usual podcast delivery systems as probably you've already found by the fact you're listening to this but we usually come out of the podcast every monday and thursday thanks for joining us we'll be back soon with another autosport podcast Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Just Because deal. Hey, oh, what's this? Breakfast. From Mickey D's? From me? Yep. Why? Because it's morning and you like McDonald's. Let's eat while it's hot. There's a deal for every act of kindness at McDonald's. You don't need a reason when the one and only hot and melty sausage McMuffin with egg is just two fifty. dollars Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.